Welcome to Dr. Cindy Speaks. Regular musings and reflections on politics, current events, and life as a congressional candidate. Dr. Cindy Banyer is a mom and small business owner fighting for our water, our health, our community. She's running for the people of Southwest Florida, trying to flip Florida 19 from red to blue. Listen as she speaks truth to power and gets real about being a mom and a candidate. So this is a very interesting and special podcast. It is not necessarily partisan, but it really is about leadership, politics, and so on. I think it will help us get an understanding of who we really want in our leadership, our region. And I am bringing it to my audience because it's a story that I've been talking about for a while, or I guess, come on. But um, I think it's it really speaks to some of the negative aspects of power structure and culture that is acceptable to a lot of people. And I want to bring the story to you so you can hear it. So you don't have to worry about how it's by the way, a lot of our print media and news media here in this Florida both are manipulated is a bit of a strong word, but let's say influenced by the advice that a lot of local politicians make. Uh, these uh, media outlets here know that they give a lot from local politicians campaigns of all stripes, and so they're reluctant sometimes to put out anything critical about And we've seen that in a lot of different races. Um, we see that, frankly, in the way that um, partisanly things are covered in this area, and it's been a problem. I mean, I've actually had things covered by statewide media and national media, but not from which is outrageous to me, frankly. And that has to go, that goes back to the fact that I'm a Democrat. And the main thing that people say about this region is it's a Republican region. And for me, it comes up, that ends up being manifest destiny kind of thing. People say it, people the media publishes information about Republican um, politics, and then everybody just believes that that's the way that it is, and that there is no other voice on when in reality, a lot of times there's there's other factors at play, and what we're going to be talking about here today is exactly one of those things. And um, I, as as we're getting and waiting for our guests to come on today, I do want to say that I am listening to our guests. I am appreciating her her candid assessment of situation. She's been hurting. I am not passing judgment 
unsure for any of the parties involved. Um, I do not know personally the facts of the case. I can bear witness to what I've seen played out to me via the, the press, local and state press, as well as the international media. I can attribute to, you know, certain understandings of the world coming from being a mother, being a woman, and I can understand how that can color your interaction and experiences with people. And I think ultimately what I want my listeners to understand about the podcast that we're about to do here today is that I want you to hear this story. I want you to make your own conclusions. I want you to ask for additional information from the appropriate sources. Um, and I want you to know that this, again, goes beyond partisan politics, that this goes back to ultimately respect for women and how it's very common for men to take advantage of women when they are in positions of power. And for me, it's also about having integrity in our political structure and power structure, which I have seen many circumstances here in Southwest Florida of that being abused by people. And a lot of times, honestly, it's, it looks very petty. We call it petty corruption, small things, no big contracts, no exorbitant fees to preferred providers. Just a, you know, a shrug and the understanding that this is the way that things are, this is the way that things work. Sometimes called the good old boys network. And I'm somebody who my work over the past 11 years have encountered this. And again, like I said, it's often nuanced. Some of it's not over, but it very much ends up being influencing people in to support people in positions of power to make lucrative deals for others to suddenly line the pockets of pockets of others, to disenfranchise individuals and groups of people specifically for political gain, and, um, you know, a look the other way when there's malfeasance um, is is very complex. Salvos for all, you know, potentially the rest of the United States, but I'm focusing here right now. And that's the other reason I wanted to bring this issue. So when I look at this, this is very, very quintessential Southwest Florida. Any corruption, this is power. And I am somebody who is committed to rooting out corruption wherever it is. I am a point of good government structures, of making sure that government works for people, making sure that it is not biased toward any one group of people or individuals to make it really work and serve, doing the things it's supposed to do for us, right? Supporting each and every American in their pursuit of happiness, quality of life, and our goals and our shared goals of prosperity and peace. And that's what I think government should do. And so that's why I bring this story for you to hear today. And we'll have our guests coming in studio and to the conversation.
All right, everybody, thank you so much. I see our guest calling in here for, uh, with us. Let me go ahead and get her online. Hello, Deanna. Hi, Cindy. Hi, how are you? I am okay. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we can hear you. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate you um, coming on to tell your story um, here because I think it's really, really important. And I appreciate your strength and your courage through this process. And thank you. Yeah, you know, I know it's hard. It's hard for us um, women sometimes to be able to talk about uh, things that have happened to us, especially when they can be rather painful and, and, and put us in a vulnerable spot. But I think it's important for people to know about some of the things that happen to women, women like us, and so that our story can be out there. And that's exactly why I invited you to be here with us today. And before we get into the kind of the story part, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are as a person? So, you know, introduce yourself um, so that we can kind of feel who Deanna is as a person before we jump into the story. You know, more than anything, I'm a mom. My kids are everything to me, and they have been the greatest blessing and sometimes the biggest challenge, but it is amazing being a mom, and that has been the best gift of my life. Raising them has just been extraordinary. They are young adults now, and I am a grandmother. I have I have two beautiful grandchildren, and... Um, I have one on the way. So my family is very important to me. And using my experiences, the things that I have, my greatest pains, um, that's led me to serving women and serving in a capacity of women's outreach and sharing my story of survival with other women who are struggling with the same. Sometimes those women are not able um, women, children, um, you know, occasionally men as well, more often women and children. But sometimes those, those people who are served have not, they're not in a position to be able to safely tell their story. So it's a unique position that I just really appreciate the privilege, um, of sharing my story and having people who trust me and share their story with me. So that is, that's really valuable to me. And I do not take that for granted for one second. I appreciate that so much. It is wonderful to see someone find healing and hope and to see that it is possible to survive. So, so surviving and um, getting to a place of hope and helping others find that is really what drives me. Well, thank you so much for that introduction. And before we jump into your story, I just want to preface our audience of kind of what's led up to this discussion here today. So, um, you know, I am I'm running for office here in Southwest Florida. But more importantly, I'm a 
a person who lives here in this community and for a very long time have been following what's been going on in our local politics, but you know, our local leadership more so than politics itself. And uh, myself, I've been dismayed over the past decade that I've been involved here to see how many times we have people in leadership who are abusing their powers in a multitude of different ways. And as I prefaced earlier in the show, sometimes we might call it kind of petty corruption, things like that. But this kind of culture of the good old boys network and that this is just the way that things are and you pat my back and, you know, scratch my back, pat your back, this kind of, um, you know, relationship between uh, leaders in our community is something that's always been uh, a lot of a problem for me, frankly, because I don't think that's how it should work. And especially when we start to see how there are people who sometimes get into powerful positions that can take advantage of other people. And I think that we have a case of that right here. And this is, we're recording this session, particularly at a very opportune time. We're right ahead of primaries. So we have a choice across Southwest Florida of whom we want in our leadership. So everybody has that opportunity to be able to decide. And I think that uh, information and stories like this can help uh, make those decisions a little bit clearer for some folks. I also think that it's important because we had a couple other things come down that actually did make it into our local media. So in particular today, there was a news press article about uh, Sheriff Carmine Marciano, who we are going to be talking about extensively here, about his run for office, about his history and some of the questions that have been levied about his history and his qualifications and as well as some of the ways that he has conducted himself using public funds and in this particular case there has been some issue around how he conducts himself with mem- members of our community including women just like Deanne and Again, I think this is goes beyond politics. This goes beyond partisanship. It's about how we expect our local leaders to protect and to serve, particularly those who are in the law, law enforcement capacity, and not use their power to take advantage of people. Um, and I want Deanna to present her story and tell us what's going on. Um, and I hope that you will continue as listeners to reach out and understand further uh, about some of the people and the power players in our community. So, Deanna, you know, really focusing in on what has been happening with um, Sheriff Carmine Mosiano, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what happened with you guys? How did How did everything come about? I first came in contact with him when he contacted me on Facebook. He sent me a message and um, it started with small talk. And then he offered to help me with a crime that I reported to Lee County Sheriff's Office. He sent his cell phone number and requested that I text him a good time to call. So naturally, I he sent me an article. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know what he did. He explained that. 
Um, I had actually never heard the term undersheriff before, so I, I did not even know what that was. He sent me a link to a news press article that said something like, um, undersheriff Carmine Marcino emerges as new face of Lee County Sheriff's Office. And, um, I briefly scanned over that and I thought, okay, so he is in a capacity where he can help. So I texted him uh, and he called me almost immediately after I sent him the text. And he wanted to set up a meeting at the sheriff's office to discuss the crime. He promised he would, um, he and his team would no longer allow it to continue. Um, I gave him a little bit of information about it online so he knew what I had told him, and I believe he also did some checking um, on his end. So we spoke, and he wanted to set up a meeting. This was Friday night. He wanted to set up a meeting for Monday morning at the sheriff's office, and um, we did that. And I went in, and I met with Carmine Marcino, and under sheriff at the time, and um, Holloway. They were both there, and we discussed the crime, um, and I discussed it at length, everything that led up to it, and the theft. This was a grand theft of $200,000, and it was an attorney theft, um, and it was an attorney who never had a, never had any authorization or access to funds. He was not supposed to ever receive funds on my behalf, but he managed to... Um, orchestrate that theft by reaching out to someone who was responsible for distributing funds involved in a case. The underlying case is a sexual assault case that involved my neighbor at the time. There was a confession in that case. Um, I am the subject of smear campaigns about that quite often. Um, but there was a confession in that case that the lawyers have bragged about in open court. So that is a part of public record. Um, not something I discuss at length, but that is, that's something that just about anyone can find out some of the details on that. So, so in this case. Uh, so, Deanna, let me just reflect back what I've heard from you so, thus far is that you were introduced to to the sheriff, Sheriff Armand Marciano, uh, via Facebook. You didn't really know who he was. He was initially bragging about that he was, you know, part of the leadership in the, in the sheriff's office. Uh, you discussed the case that you were hoping the sheriff's office would look into. You brought that case to the sheriff's office via meeting that you coordinated through this contact with him that was made by Facebook and then text her. Is that right? That's correct. I had actually been sent to, I had been told to call the sheriff's office and to report the crime. I called the Florida bar first and they said, of course they would investigate it. But senior bar count counsel Anne Marie Kraft told me I needed to call and make a criminal report. And most likely that would be the sheriff's office. So I did that. And in making that report, it required taking documents back and forth, explaining the timeline. There are a few details. It's a relatively simple crime if you are clear on the details and the timeline of events. But I had to clarify some of those issues. So it required a little bit of back and forth to do so. 
So in the middle of that process, there's some frustration with some of the communication there. Um, this is something that I never talked about publicly. No one knew that this was going on. I'm very public about what has happened since. But what was going on then was something I'd never posted about on social media publicly. No one knew anything about this. Um, I did not discuss the underlying case. Um, so he had access to that information. Um, very few people had access to any of that information. So at the time, so I, I'm sorry. I just want to say I'm, I don't, I don't necessarily um, want to have to put you through the trauma of going all the way back through some of the things that have happened. But I think it's really important for people to recognize is that the, the initial contact with um, with the sheriff came through your desire to have a crime investigated. And then that resulted in you giving additional information, including some very vulnerable things that had happened to you previously that kind of made it put you in a disempowered position vis-a-vis Sheriff Carvine Marcino. Would you say that that's an accurate reflection? Absolutely. I could not have felt more vulnerable at the time. This is something that um, is an extraordinary trauma for me. Um, it's something that I can't... There's coping with it, and there is progress that is made over time, but it's not anything that ever leaves. Um, the, the impact of sexual assault is lifelong and is very difficult to get into the details of some of those things. And it was necessary to do that at that time. So it's a very vulnerable thing to discuss that. And especially with someone who has access to all the documents, um, all of the reports, um, photos that are, um, within the reports that are not necessarily modest. Um, mm -hmm. There's a there's a certain amount of embarrassment that comes with, with some of that, um, and it's it's so revealing and it's so difficult to go into some of those details. So yes, at the time I am, I'm dealing with the impact of the crimes that have been committed, the and the potential consequences of that. Um, at the same time, I am struggling with the, with my ongoing fight with multiple sclerosis. So that is another complicating thing. The stress of it all, um, has an extraordinary impact on me physically, um, emotionally, and it is sometimes very challenging, um, to make it through some of these things. So let's, so let's get back to the story. So what we know thus far is you had been a victim of a crime. You were engaging with the sheriff's office to get that addressed. At that point in time, uh, Sheriff Carmine Marcino introduced himself to you via Facebook. You were corresponding, uh, in relation to that case. You meet at the sheriff's office on that Monday. And then what happened? That day we discussed some things and I got um 
I found, I made a phone call and I found out that there's an email that I will put, um, that I'll make available to you so that your listeners can see this as well. Um, but there's some communication that takes place. So I communicate with the detective in this case and there have been some lost documents. So some of these documents are under seal and not everyone can get them. So I communicate with Carmine that apparently some documents have gone missing and they're, they're very important to the case. So he later communicates back to me and that's something that there's a voicemail that has been made public. Um, because his, his stance is I was not a reporting crime victim at the time when that is actually the only reason I was willing to um, communicate and have contact, have any contact with him, of course, was to resolve this issue, which impacted my life in an extraordinary way as a six-figure theft would anyone. Yeah. And I think so what th- that's an important point and why we're trying to lay this timeline out here as well is that um, that there was recently an ethics complaint regarding this case, the story that we're talking about here involving uh, Deanna. And essentially the state determined that there was no ethics violation because Deanna was not a reporting crime victim. But from just even just being thus far into the story, we can tell that there was a lot of correspondence between Deanna and Sheriff um, Carmine Marcino. And it was specifically related to the case, first and foremost, because otherwise there wouldn't have been no way that you two would have met. Isn't that right? Right. I was I was a reporting crime victim. That's exactly why we met. He is someone who we lead just we have very different interests. Um, so I don't um, it's very unlikely that in the things that he takes part in, I would ever run across him, even though we lived very close to one another. And I had no idea until he pointed that out. All right. So let's dive into that part a little bit. So we, you know, you were talking about your case and you were corresponding and and then what happened? He, there are texts and um and there were calls and he wanted to to speak to me. Um he wanted to call and talk to me. And he asked me this over text if I was up for a call. So um I did. I spoke with him and um it was personal, um and not about the case. Um this was on a Friday night and he wanted to meet with me. Um, and I, that was a little surprising. Um, I didn't know quite how to handle that, but I felt that I was in a position where I could not, um, I couldn't cut off con- contact. I had felt when I, um, after I'd met with him at the sheriff's office, the way that he looked at me and spoke to me, I had that feeling that there was other interest on his part. Um, and I did not have, I 
I was my biggest concern. I was afraid of not communicating with him and having, if I upset him by not communicating, having um, an investigation by retaliation, either shut down. Um, that was a big concern of mine. So I was in a position where I am thinking I have to communicate with him. Maybe if I communicate with him and I'm courteous and just explain my position that I went to the sheriff's office to report a crime and I am, I'm okay with friendship, but I'm not interested in anything at all beyond that. So I made that very clear and I made it very clear that, um, that, that friendship was as far as that could go. And, and I made it clear additionally that friendship meant no physical contact, that kind of friendship without any, without anything of that, um, of that nature at all. So he responds, um, in a way that almost, um, I almost felt silly for bringing that up because he said, Oh, of course, of course, I would, I, I would never, um, I would never imagine that. I would never try that. So, trying to disarm you seem to right? understand. You know, so I'm, I think there are a few things in your story is what you're saying is that you were already, um, in a disempowered position because you had already divulged several personal and vulnerable things about yourself. There was somebody who was in a position of power who then decides that he wants to engage with you in a personal way. And you, because you, he has some ability to determine whether or not your case is looked at, you decide to, you know, humor him to engage in that personal relationship because you felt that you really didn't have any other choice and then he made I didn't you feel have silly for thinking that anything was other than friendly right right um I you know I did I felt a little bit ridiculous for even bringing it up because he seemed to um he said of course not and um so but I felt like I needed to address that so so there weren't any expectations and I didn't have a choice in whether I communicated with him or not. Um, the consequences of this crime to me meant um, potentially losing my home um, if there was no justice, if there was no action taken on this. Um, and also what's huge to me is losing medical care. Um, losing medical care that, that keeps me able to, um, I'm able to see, not lose my vision, um, continue walking, standing, those types of things. Um, multiple sclerosis is a thing that is, um, some people understand it quite well. Um, it is, it can disable almost silently, almost in an invisible way. And, it's very important to have access to good care and to make sure there's no interruption in that. So that is a, a tremendous um, concern of mine at the time, making sure I'm okay physically and any kind of lapse um, in care caused by the theft um, doesn't end up with me losing function. Um, 
So that was very, very important to me health-wise. And also as a mom who had my son living with me at the time, not losing our home that I raised my kids in, um, this theft resulted in additional theft after there was no justice. So the consequences of it was pretty severe in my life. So I needed an investigation. I needed help. I absolutely needed help. You went and I trusted. Him. Yep. And you trusted him. You went to that organization and he bragged about being the leader of that organization, which was the only organization that you could possibly have gotten assistance from in your particular case. And it was literally meaning the difference between you losing your house and losing your health. And he was there and he decided that that was something that he could use to get something else that he wanted. I think that's yes. a fair So tell Absolutely. us a little bit about that next part. So you met him, thought it was going to be friendly, it was personal, and, and then what happened? Um, things, it was immediately after this conversation. I have this conversation with him, and he seems to understand um, you know, he is, he's saying things to me like, you know, it's, I didn't know him and I had not heard anything and I had not, of course, I didn't know anything about anything politically. Um, my only experience with the sheriff's office was in reporting the original crime and not getting criminal justice there, despite a confession in my case. That was a really challenging thing, but I had no I had no reason not to trust. The day that I met with him at the sheriff's office, that was on a Monday at his request, I, that was a good day for me. Afterwards, I really, it was the first time in a little while that I had some hope in resolving this issue. And I, I took my son out. Um, we went to the Cracker Barrel after this. He likes to go to Cracker Barrel. Um, so we go out after this and we spend the day together and I'm enjoying the day with my son after that with the weight lifted of, um, worrying about how to move forward with this crime looming over me. So that was, it was so important. It affected my life in a huge way. So I completely trusted him. I trusted him as someone who was a law enforcement official, um, who was in the position at that time, though he was under sheriff at that time, he was, had not been officially appointed sheriff. He explained that Mike Scott had moved away from Lee County. Um, I believe it was at that time, he said a year and a half prior or something close to that, where he purchased um, a residence in Tennessee and he was not, not in Fort Myers at all. So that was, um, that was a huge responsibility. And I assume that he was a trustworthy person to have, um, earned that position or to have been given that position, um, I think most of us would believe that that's just a position of trust. And I didn't, I had no idea that I didn't question it. I, looking back, 
I feel like I was incredibly naive. Um, but I had always been taught to trust law enforcement. And these are the people that you go to for help. In my case, as you pointed out, there is no one else to go to. There's not another agency who can handle this. Um, that is all I have. So he is, I'm with, I, I am believing I can trust the person with who, who I am with because he is the top law enforcement official in the county. So that comes with, um, with the belief that there should be trust there, that there is a, um, a safe, trustworthy person in that position. And that's, um, what I, uh, mistakenly believed. Yeah. And believing and, that has cost me dearly. I know. And that's, that's what the shame is. Because here's the thing. You are not wrong to trust law, law enforcement. You know, that you're right. That is what they're supposed to be there for is to hold public trust to keep us safe and uh, be accountable for that. And I think that's why when we talk about what has happened, um, things become you know, it's so important to share the story because it is a breach of that public trust and it is um, the leveraging of that public trust that kind of went wrong in your situation. And um, I do believe that we need to hold people accountable when we do put public trust in them, that they are not going to be exploitative of that trust, that they are not going to be abusive to people with that trust, that they are not going to be focused on themselves and their own advancement with that trust. So, we come back to the rest of the story with you. So, I think we've fairly well established that you were, yes, you were the victim of a crime. You had went to the Lee County Sheriff's Office assistance. That is how we met. Sheriff Carmine Marcino. And now tell us the next part of the story. Because this is the part where it gets a lot, you know, skipped over a little bit. Um, which part? <laughs> I think we were right up to, uh, we were right up to where, you know, he started to ask and try to engage with you in a personal manner. So tell us from your perspective, how did things progress from there? Things went from there. This, we had this conversation. We had this conversation. Um, he made it sound since we were, um, he says, we're neighbors. Let's just, let's go for a drive. I want to show you my car. And he had, um, you know, a, a car that, um, he wanted to, that was cool. I'm sorry. And he had a kind of car that he, uh, you thought he thought you thought was cool, right? But he knew that, didn't he? he you know, he knew that because um, he had he'd followed me on social media, and he knew that I had previously had um, you know the same kind of Mercedes before. So he had um, you know a, a Mercedes um, C sixty three Cabriolet, and it's it's. Mercedes AMG has a specific type of layout and, and things that are unique to that type of car. Um, across, you know, from the smaller cars up to the SUVs, there are certain things that are different. So that was something that 
I've had that type of car, you know, for years. I was familiar with that. And I bought a different kind of car. And he said, oh, you need to see this. I have this one. It's new. I had this. I had this done, that done. So he's showing me his car. Um, and he says, let's go for a drive. Um, we're neighbors just going for a drive. No big deal. So um, he made me feel safe in doing that. And um, he says, that's all it is. Uh, just neighbors going for a drive. It isn't, it's nothing to be concerned about. Super casual. So um, I did. And I, during this is when we had that conversation. Um, he was driving and I had that conversation with him that there, I did not desire anything, um, you know, from this relationship, from this interaction that was anything but platonic. Um, I made it very clear, no physical contact, none of that. Um, I had been, um, I'd been focused on raising my children and putting life back together after what I experienced. And um, a little bit of a vulnerable detail with that is that I had been celibate for over eight years. That was something that I had almost nine years. I was not um, comfortable with that. That was not something that I was looking for. Um, that was that was something in my life that I pictured when I found someone um, with whom I felt very safe. That would happen within the context of the right timing, the right person, um, you know, a foundation, a loving foundation, those things that that I think most of us want um, and that I would most importantly have a choice in the matter. Um, and that's not what happened. And so, you know, and, and we don't have to get into all the, the nitty gritty details of it, but, you know, even on that night, that wasn't what happened. There was some circumstances that made it clear to you that his intentions were far beyond friendly. Right. And then, Absolutely. Your relationship proceeded from there. Given um, the circumstance where you're already at a, a power disadvantage, you were really going to him for help. You had made it clear that you didn't really want a relationship, let alone a physical relationship or a romantic relationship, but you were simply not allowed to be in that space because of that power disruption. And things progress from there. So, what? Pick up, pick up the story on the, the timeline, wherever it is you feel comfortable on picking it up. So we met right after, yeah. right after this night. He, uh, the next day, the following day, and laying out the timeline. I think it's important to note that this was Friday night, um, the same week. I had met with him at the sheriff's office at his request to discuss the crime. Um, and he spoke with some people about it. And I referenced the email earlier. And he gave them instructions to keep me informed about the status of the investigation and what was going on. So 
this is Friday. Um, and Monday was the first time I had ever seen him in person at the sheriff's office. Um, so this happened so quickly and I was really taken off guard. He wanted to see me the next day and I was not comfortable being alone with him after what had happened that night. So he wanted me to come to his house and he kept trying to get me to his house. And, um, you know, I, I just, I sent him a text and, um, and I told him maybe a rain check somewhere, not at your house, maybe, um, out with other people. Um, I wanted, I did not, I wasn't comfortable being alone with him at that point. So, he tried to see me all that day. He kept trying to talk me into it. And um, he tried to overcome my objections. And and he continued pushing um, to get me to his house. And I did not. Um, I did not go to his house. So he did make contact again. He wanted to see me. And this time it was out with other people. So um, I agreed to that. So... So that happened, and um, it progressed very quickly from there to um, he made it very clear that he wanted an ongoing relationship with me, and he wanted me to commit to that. Um, and he asked me what I thought of that, um, and I was really struggling with how to communicate my desire again. My desire is I reported a crime. My only desire is to raise my kids or be there for my kids. They're young adults at this point, but to be there for my kids and, um, and go on about the things that are important in my life, which is, you know, community, church, friends, family. Um, and that didn't have anything to do with him. And that was not a desire that I shared. I did not want a relationship with Carmen. And you felt pressured into it, is what you're saying. You felt pressured into having a relationship with him based on not only just his aggressive pursuit of you, but also your desire to not want anything to happen to your case that he was ostensibly in charge of. I didn't want anything to happen in my case. And that was one of the things that, of course, is a huge concern for me. Um, I didn't have access to another agency that I could go to. If there was anyone else that I could go to, I would have done that. Um, but there is no one else that you can go to above that. Um, there is no one else. If you are concerned with the actions of the person who is the, who is acting as the top law enforcement official in the county, there is literally no one that you can go to for help. If you call the governor and the governor doesn't do anything, there is no one who has the authority to do anything. It is a position of extraordinary power. And so, so you felt compelled and you engaged then, you acquiesced to him because 
you felt that there was nothing really else that you could do. Right? And at first, I really believed that I could, um, and this is where I was very naive. Um, looking back, I don't know how I could have, how I could have navigated it any differently. There are people who will blame me and say, well, you did it. You ended up in a sexual relationship with them. And it's true that there, that there obviously was, um, there was a sexual relationship, but this is not, something that I wanted. I didn't want any interaction with him from the start. I went to him with that crime. And this crime was so closely associated with the biggest trauma of my adult life. I just wanted justice and I wanted to get that done so I could move on and get rid of any association with the assault and the impact that that had on my life. I wanted to do good things. I wanted to, um, to focus on things that, that weren't horrific, like a sexual assault. Um, that reshaped so much in my life and the lives of my children. The impact on us was tremendous. Um, so trying to overcome and heal from that was my focus. And that's what I wanted to continue doing. I naively believed that I could somehow, I really believed that he would listen to when I told him what I wanted, what my desires were. And that was just for justice in the case. And to, I knew that I had to be friendly with him. I got the impression very quickly that he was someone who could retaliate. Um, he gave me that impression um, by telling me certain stories and, and certain things that he um, had taken part in. So I knew that he was a somewhat vengeful person. I did not know to what extent I found out much later. I'm still finding out. Um, but I really believed that if I explained my boundaries clearly enough, that he would mind those boundaries and he would not cross them. Um, and I was, I was sorely mistaken. Yeah. And, and before we go on with your story, I just, you know, I want to, you know, thank you for your courage in this because this is, this is a challenging story to tell. I know that I can hear it in your voice. And, um, but I want to just reiterate that how it common it kind of is in the experience of women. And I would say also, um, particularly so it happens to a lot of different type of women, but I would say that I think that it's for women who are like Deanna, who are beautiful and vivacious, there are a lot of people who think a lot of men who think that they can just take advantage to have access to they come in it. Um and it the woman herself no longer becomes a person. And so it doesn't really matter what kind of boundaries you set. Um but that you become the object of that man's desire. And when you throw in this combination of power and like Deanna said, this vengefulness coupled with that desire to possess the beautiful object that they see, um, the woman and her humanity 
comes. And I think this is a really good example of this. Um, and, you know, we're on radio right now, we're on recording, so it's hard to, to see, but trust me when I, when I say that there's, you know, there is a, a curse of the beautiful when it comes to this, particularly around men with power who want to covet that. Um, I think it's also, I want to validate something else that you've revealed in your story here as well, is that um, you really felt like you didn't have a choice. Because this is where, um, in your case in particular, there's criticism. And frankly, it happens with women across the board in this kind of things. Um, everything from sexual assault, you know, why did you look that way? Or why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you close your legs? Or whatever ridiculous trope people come up with. Um, or same through sexual harassment. Why don't you just get out of there? Why, you know, um, to everything, even to abusive marriages, you know, people say, well, why didn't you leave? And I think what, you know, I want to say about that is, you know, unless you've been there, I want you to shut up, right? Unless you have had or experience with these things, I want you to shut up on this conversation. So basically I'm talking to every man who, makes criticism of women in this particular capacity because you have not been in the circumstance where your body, your soul is violated by somebody in a position of power. You've not felt powerless to leave a situation because of the compounding factors in it, like being a mom and having to think about your kids and what it would mean if you make or don't make certain decisions. Um, so, I mean, I just want to kind of cut the judgment component right out of this and to say, I have been in situations similar to the ones that Dana has described, where I have felt compelled to be in a relationship with somebody who I didn't really want to be in a relationship with, to be in physical contact with somebody who I didn't necessarily want to be in physical contact with because I felt I had no choice or because that person had power. And Deanne and I are not the only two women in the United States or around the world who have ever felt that. And I go out on the limb and say with a fair amount of certainty that this is a common experience for women. So if you find yourself sitting there thinking and judging people like Deanna in this situation, you need to have another conversation with yourself about the reality that women face when men of power decide that they want to objectify them. All right, so there's me off my soapbox for a moment, but um, Deanna, let's get back to the story, because there's there's a, a couple of other components of it that I really know that you want people to understand about what happened, um, and, and and some of the situations with it where maybe you've, you've been misportrayed. So what else do people need to know about this story beyond really establishing that you were, in fact, a reporting crime victim when the engagement with Sheriff Carmine Marciano began. What else do we need to know? When this happened, this is something, yes, people do. They blame and they say, you didn't have to do this. You didn't have to do that. I believed I did have to do that. Um, I believed I had to comply in order to stay safe and um, in order to also keep my son safe. This is something that he wanted to meet my son and um, involve himself in the more vulnerable parts of my life very early on. Um, 
and I had big concerns there. Um, I wanted to be safe, and the things that he communicated to me, it felt very unsafe. And I wanted to, I was hoping I could get justice at that point and get away and just get away and not be um, in Lee County or in a place where I had access to um, to law enforcement or someone to help me if there, if anything did happen um, that threatened us. And I knew that with him, who do you call? Who do you call if um, there are those who criticize me and they continue to and they will. It's not only people who don't understand the situation who criticize me. There are you have to keep in mind this is something that the public doesn't know because the media in Southwest Florida is controlled by the sheriff's office and by Carmine Marcino um, largely because he can restrict their access to the sheriff's office um, as a media organization. He can completely shut them out if he doesn't like the way that he's covered. In addition to that, he literally has hundreds of thousands of dollars of campaign ad buys with these media organizations, um, and he's very well connected within them. Um, so... The blame that comes my way frequently, you know, I would like to know these people who want to blame me. I have asked back of a couple people, what did you do when the sheriff made advances toward you? You don't know what you're going to do until you're in that situation. And it is a terrifying situation. And there is literally no one to turn to for help because no one has any authority over him. And the things that I found out since and the things that he told me at that time um, with his connections and connections to people who... Um, are capable of doing horrific things. Um, that was my safety and the safety of my son, who means the world to me. That was that came so, before anything. So you felt that you were so um, under threat and harassed um, as a result of what had transpired here that you left. Uh, you left the area, and I will say she's in hiding. I know it sounds like she's. Um, you know, doing a bit of carpentry in the background. She told me early before we started uh, uh, recording this that she's getting her roof done, but she is in a, in a secure location, um, not a horror film set. So don't worry, she's okay right now. But she is not no longer in this area because she felt so under threat and besieged by what had happened. And we didn't even get to the 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 the, the real. So we we laid the groundwork because I think that was the part of the story that. Um, you know, you really needed to make clear based on what had happened. But most recently in this case, um, there was an ethics complaint that was brought to the state of Florida. And uh, the ethics complaint surrounded around this case regarding Deanna and the relationship. And it was dismissed because they, they the ethics commission said that there wasn't, she wasn't reporting crime victim at the time. So that's one of the reasons why we wanted to emphasize here today that yes, in fact, that was the case um, and that perhaps there was some additional um, political reasons why the state and Governor DeSantis decided to look the other way in 
in Dan's case because they wanted to pop up, pop up, excuse me, uh, uh, Chief uh, or Sheriff Carmen Marciano. Um, but like, so th- there is another component of the story that I, I think is important, Deanna, for you to tell, and that is what happened. You said previously to me in conversation that you, your relationship with um, the sheriff was around two months long. You, you kind of laid out for us the beginning part, um, but really tell everybody, make clear for everybody what had happened um, and how, how the relationship ended and, and essentially why your case became so infamous for us. There were very few people who knew um, about what was happening. Um, so it was fairly private and I do prefer to keep my life private. Um, but I didn't have the choice to do so. I had to, um, to try to do some things to ensure my safety and becoming public about what had happened to me was part of that. And I had to do that, um, during my pregnancy. Um, I became pregnant and I told him over the phone, um, at a distance. I was out of town. Um, I was visiting at the time my father who had an adverse reaction to chemotherapy. So I went to visit him. Um, and Carmine had access to my home. Um, my son, he had volunteered to, you know, look out for him while I was gone. Um, and at this time, I call him, we're discussing things. He pushes to know why I'm not feeling well, um, what's going on with that, and maybe I shouldn't be visiting my father at the hospital, um, who has a compromised immune system if I'm potentially ill. And of course I tell him this is not contagious. Um, he pushes and I do tell him at that time that I'm pregnant. So, his response to that, um, he says he wants to discuss options and, um, he says, tells me that I have to have an abortion and it would ruin his life and his career if I didn't. And, um, he'd previously told me that he wanted that I needed, if I ever discussed anything, that I ha- I was supposed to tell anyone that we met through social media, not that um, that I reported a crime and that's how we met. He explained that usually this, and I I know this to be true now, that is um, an offense that an officer is usually immediately terminated for. Um, I. I wasn't aware of that, um, aware of any of that at the time. I didn't even think that way at the time. My life was based on surviving this and getting through the trauma of the original crime of what was going on in relation to the theft that occurred and um, then dealing with trying to negotiate around um doing anything to upset Carmine Marcino. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do anything that would make me a target of um, of his anger. So I proceeded very carefully and 
I wanted him to talk about other options because that I was not comfortable. I did not want to have an abortion. And he continued to push that and tell me that uh, I was absolutely selfish and um, it's a horrible thing um, for me to to be emotional and to go with my emotions and insist on having a child. It was absolutely wrong for me to have our child. Um, he was angry with me. Um, he was very angry with me for being pregnant. Um, and he blamed me for that. <laughs> he was extremely angry with me for that. And then he was very angry with me and became progressively more so because I refused to have an abortion. And that resulted in some, some threats against my life and, um, and against the life of our child. And he told me he would not allow me to give, um, to give birth to this child alive. That's what he said at the time. And it was absolutely chilling to me. It was, I had driven to my location at that time for that trip. It was the most difficult thing to have to return to Fort Myers. And my life was filled with nothing but terror during my time in Fort Myers. Um, I think it's sometimes difficult for people to put themselves in that position and to imagine. They see a public persona and they see someone who smiles and shakes hands and looks like such a friendly person. But if you knew more, you would feel differently. Um, I saw something very different than what the public sees. And the threats were absolutely chilling. The abuse is not something that anyone would, would expect. There are people who know, who are aware that his father is a very abusive person. Um, and very abusive and disrespectful towards women. This is not a secret and would not come as a surprise to quite a few people. But what would be absolutely shocking to a great number of people, they see this public persona and they believe that he is different than that. And um, in my experience, that is absolutely not the case. That, that abuse has carried down um, to him as well. So he is an extraordinarily abusive, threatening person. And it is, you don't want to see him go from being okay and acting normally um, and being happy to becoming angry. It is a complete, nearly completely unrestrained thing. And... Sounds scary. There isn't any, it is, and there isn't anyone to turn to for help. There is no one, literally no one. And that is the issue with this. The, the ethics commission, the attorney who presented this case to the ethics commission said that I was not a reporting crime victim at the time. And that's why she recommended that the ethics commission dismiss the complaint. I think it's important to also state I was not the complainant. I did not 
submit this complaint to the Ethics Commission. That was a former sheriff of Lee County. Um, Rod Shoke submitted that. He let me know that he had, and he submitted that, and he um, that is why the investigation took place. It is my belief. It's just my opinion. I believe that the Ethics Commission, um, there was a lot of evidence that they did not review. They did not seek. Um, they did not make contact with other victims. They had the opportunity to. They had um, contact information. Um, they did not interview other victims. They refused to make contact. They didn't use any of the evidence. The evidence would be the Facebook messages, the texts, um, the voicemails, emails, those things that detail that indeed I was a reporting crime victim. And if you say I wasn't a reporting crime victim, you just have to go back and look. Where did we meet? Where did we see one another face to face at his request at the sheriff's office to report, to discuss that crime that I had already reported? So this false statement was given and it's just, it's a demonstrably false statement. Um, I, and I, I am struggling to understand why an attorney would make false statements, um, before a vote is taken. I don't know what the motivation for that is or was. Um, I can only speculate to that. But the problem with this is most of the time this is this is an issue that there are certain standards that are set forth. And these standards that are set forth for officer conduct, there have been arrests made for this behavior. This is something that is actually a crime that's occurred. Um FDLE handles those things and makes those arrests. FDLE determined that there was no criminal predicate. FDLE, their only contact with me was when I contacted them because I was hoping for an investigation into the crime that I reported. I just wanted another agency to take this over and perform a responsible, unbiased investigation and um, I did not want to, it was not my intention to try to pursue anything criminal against Carmine Marcino at that point. I was looking at years of interaction with him, um, with co-parenting, with, um, I was several months pregnant at the time. I was feeling extremely vulnerable. I was living my life in a constant state of fear. and I did not want um i didn't want any retaliation um it was very difficult for me as a mother it's a very complex time it's very difficult for me as a person who was dealing with a very difficult and complicated pregnancy and i just wanted i wanted i'm i'm thinking of my child and protecting us and of course, getting that crime investigated, that is, that gives me the means to take care of my child, um, to take care of myself and the impact of my health, um, of a pregnancy as well, um, on my condition and pre-existing conditions that I have. So at that time, I am at my most vulnerable. 
and they are trying to get me to to discuss crimes and those things and they're try they don't want to discuss how we initially met. They're trying to steer the conversation. And they it is it is a contentious conversation and you can tell by my tone of voice that some of these things, these recordings and my um recorded statement, they're public now. They've been made public. So you can tell that I am very uncomfortable with this interview. Um my objective is just to get to a point where we can get to a place of safety. And at that point, I'm thinking, get away from Fort Myers as much as I love it. This is the place, Fort Myers. That's where I raised my kids. Um, yeah, I lived there and I had a home. I lived in the same area for about 12 years. This is a huge part of my life. But at that point, I determined I just need to get away and I need to be safe. So how do I get an investigation into this crime and put this part of life, which now is not just a couple hundred thousand dollars in theft, it's doubled that amount because another crime was committed in the wake of this person who committed the first crime knew that I didn't have access to law enforcement as a result of um of Carmine Marcino's actions. He promised me that if I had an abortion, the right things would happen for me. I would get justice in my case and we could move forward and move on. It would be a loss to both of us and he would support me and be there for me through that process. He said, I give you my word. This is what you need to do. And then on the flip side, if you're selfish, and the few expletives are used, if you're selfish, if you continue down this road, don't effing call the sheriff's office. Don't effing call Amira. No one is going to help you. Who are you going to call? If anything happens to you, who are you going to call for help? He says, who are you going to call, hon? Who are you going to call? And he tells me, I'm no one. I have nothing. And no one's going to believe me. He tells me no one's going to believe me because I have, because of the case, because of, because I filed a civil suit in the wake of not getting criminal justice in my rape case. He tells me no one is going to believe me because of the rape case, because there was a civil suit and that is um, against a famous person who was my neighbor at the time. He said no one would believe me and he could do absolutely anything he wanted to me and no one would believe me and I would have no one to call for help that was true in some senses um, I wouldn't have anyone to call for help and at this point in trying to hold him accountable there is no agency that does that um, there is no one who carries out that investigation. When arrests are made in these types of cases, it is because internal affairs within that department has conducted the investigation. Um, so the department within which the misconduct occurs has to initiate the investigation and carry that out. So he's not going to investigate himself. He's not going to arrest himself. Um, so he would be the person responsible. This is where it's scary in the state of Florida. 
there are no investigators. There are no state investigators who are in charge of this. Um, the governor is the only one who has any type of authority. And the governor clearly has not taken appropriate action or taken on the responsibility of doing a thorough and unbiased investigation. I welcome questions. This is something that you won't, you won't see. Um, from Carmine Marcino. He has never asked a question. He has never answered a question relating to this. Um, he does not deny any of this. Um, I knew of a few other things. There was other information that, that I was concerned about. There are certain things that when you know, um, sometimes you know too much and that can put you in a position of feeling vulnerable. And I felt that pressure as well. So where we are now is I don't have access to justice still. I continue to reach out to the governor's office and um, try to to get access to justice for my original case. Um, and also, it's important for me to tell my story, but I want to see some type of resolution and change because there is literally no place to go and there is nothing you can do. If a, if someone makes a bad appointment, in this case, he was not elected. He was appointed and his background is such that he does, he has a, um, that, that's a all fraudulent search. Oh, is it? Okay. It is. If you want to check out in the, well, today and remind you today, this is August 5th. So check out the August 5th news press article that actually details some of the more questionable components of his history in there. It's very detailed. Um, but I, there's a couple things I just want to reiterate based on what you said. And thanks again, Deanna, for, for kind of taking us on your journey. But the one thing I wanted to point out to everybody again is, you know, how you were talking about this. Oh, he's very, you know, seems nice and respectable and friendly in public, but then has this um, darker side where he's aggressive and, um, you know, very, you know, overly assertive about, you know, and threatening in, in his language and his actions. And that is very, very common in abuse, right? There's a lot of people um, who have, you know, perfectly, they look like perfectly respectable men out in public who go home and, and beat their wives and their kids, right? Um, and I just want everybody to remember that that um, this is one of the things that makes um, abuse, and whether it's domestic violence abuse or intimate partner violence uh, or, and abuse in this emotional abuse in this way as well, or the broader component that we're talking about here, which is an abuse of a power position, which it absolutely is when you're the sheriff and you are pursuing a, a crime or reporting crime victim that is an abuse of power when people are abusing this power they, it doesn't necessarily always look like that right and this is why it's hard for women to come out and speak about it because they oftentimes have to are speaking about a person who out in the public looks like they're totally respectable and a wonderful person. And so of course the woman is often silenced because of that. Um, because people are not going to believe her 
just as, you know, not sure if I'm a Carmine Marcino, asserted to Deanna in this case. No one's going to believe it. He knew that and used it against her. Also a very common thing in abuse. And, and I will say right now, just, uh, you know, I am also not only speaking as somebody who has worked in homeless services where there's a typically large amount of domestic violence um, that we're closely taking referrals from the ACT shelter here in the four years that I ran um, a homeless service organization in Cape but I myself am also a survivor of domestic violence. Um, you know, physical violence. Uh, I nearly lost my life um, from it. So I want to highlight these things because almost every single thing that Deanna has said in terms of what it means to be a victim of abuse, I can 100% relate because it's been said to me and countless other women around the world as well um, in the United States. So I just, I I want to um, amplify that because just because somebody looks like a good guy in public doesn't mean that they're a good guy in private. And listening to the stories of women have been victims of abuse is an important component of of ending cycles of violence and abuse and holding people accountable to that as well. And that's the second thing I want to amplify about the the, the story that Deanna is telling, and that is that there's no way to hold a sheriff in the state of Florida will uh, the state of Florida accountable. Aside from what appears to be a highly politicized process through the ethics committee commission uh, and the governor, right? So he's kind of if he doesn't really want to hear it, doesn't want to see it, he can tur- turn the other way, and it doesn't happen. There is no one watching the watchers when it comes down to this. And we see this in a lot of different circumstances. Today we're talking about it specifically applied to women's issues and um, abusing power uh, and women through that power. But there is a significant thing that we need to look at in terms of there is no accountability system. And like Deanna pointed out, the only investigation that happens is an internal investigation. And where's the motivation for that? Particularly when the person who is being accused of leveraging their power is the sheriff, they are not likely to be the one that's going to green light that investigation. And so we need to have a hard look at the systems of accountability around um, policing in this respect across the state of Florida. And um, that's that's a that's a really really important thing that I wanted to to just highlight in this case. Um, I think that it's so important to underscore the importance of that, that there has to be accountability. Something has to change. There has to be accountability at some level. There has to be someone who takes responsibility for making sure an investigation occurs. Like I said before, this is not something that Carmine Marcino has denied um, because he doesn't speak on this. He lawyered up and he will not answer questions regarding this. Um, he, his method of responding to it is hiring a political strategy group to do op-ed research, which normally this happens on political opponents. 
Um, people know that there's dirty politics. There are smear campaigns. There are vicious things and false stories planted about candidates to destroy them, discredit them, and smear them for the purpose of winning a campaign. Um, and in my case, he didn't employ that against his opponent. He's employed that against me. I'm the only person, the only reporting crime victim I know of where there has been op- opposition research done on me. And there are people who are literally paid. Um, there are those who, they're bots um, who are employed. And if you go to Lee County Sheriff's Office Facebook page, you'll see the campaign bots at work. Um, there are, are people who have been employed. And this is paid paid people who post online. They search for any kind of comments about him and they try to shut that down. They bully and intimidate. They try to shut it down. They spread lies about me and um, they try to come up with negative information to use against me. Um, And it's just unreal to me that there are people who are, are literally paid to destroy me. There are people whose jobs it is to attack me. And that is not the position that most people will ever find themselves in. Not only that, but if you are telling the truth of what has happened to you, and this is an abusive sheriff who did this, if he were to face accountability, everybody that he brought in with him, his entire chain of command, it is not just him who gets removed. It is everyone who gets special favors from him, everyone who's been given a position by him. It is me, almost against the world, it feels like. Everyone has a vested interest in attacking me because I went to the sheriff's office and reported a crime, and he targeted me. Because of that, it is nearly... Impossible. It is me against so many people and an extraordinary amount of money against media organizations that have run false stories that have been planted by him. One was he alleged that I had a a previous paternity suit against someone else and that case was dropped after my attorneys and he listed people who actually did represent me. Um, my attorneys could not find a father. So, he told me that he would use that and he would smear me and try to make me look like a whore is what he said. Um, that's actually what he refers to me as. He posts regularly on this forum. Uh, it's called LEO Affairs. You can see some of the things that he writes about me. He's also written an article that he had run in Florida Weekly. Um, it's just chilling, the things that he said. It's it's the way that he refers to me, the things that it's so dehumanizing. Um, there's no empathy there whatsoever. I'm not treated as a human. I am treated as something to be destroyed so that he can get what he wants and and continue on in his political career and continue on to gain power. His goal is to be the governor. Um, he wants more than just the office of sheriff, um, even though there are a great number of people who know that He didn't attend police academy in Florida. He never met the requirements. This is part of why it's so intimidating. I am thinking as someone who needs to be protected and safe, if I bring these things out, this is a guy who has has um, paid his way around things, um, somehow gotten around all of these other issues. 
Um, he's gotten away with not having a valid law enforcement certification, which is legally required to be a law enforcement officer in the state of Florida. Um, you can be appointed sheriff. I'll say that to be fair. You can be appointed sheriff without ever having been an officer. But all the time prior to that, he was actually committing a crime by impersonating a law enforcement officer for a number of years. When someone is able to get away with that level of misconduct and there is no accountability, what's going to happen to me? I have no power, no connections to anyone politically. Um, I'm just a mom who is trying to stay safe and live my life. I didn't have anything on my side. And it's still, I'm alone in this fight. And there are people who are out there doing everything they can to shut me down, to bully me, to scare me. And this is too important for me not to tell my story and not to push for hope for some kind of change and also to be there for women who have, who are experiencing this. I have the experience of surviving this. Thank God, as far as I have survived it. And I do live a life where I live in hiding. Um, and I, I'm always looking over my shoulder because I know I'm a threat to be eliminated and to be silenced. And that is the goal. It, it's a very intimidating thing, but I know that there are other women who are experiencing this as well. And there is literally no place to turn. There's no place to go. So that is what I focus my work on. And I'm working on putting together a nonprofit to focus on that and to use my knowledge gained to help women who are in the same situation, help women and other victims who are in this situation to find safe shelter, to find someone who can speak on their behalf and anticipate some of the things that are going to happen during this. I have lived through a high-profile sexual assault case and now this and the smear campaign that follows. And um, it is... It's certainly a learning experience. I am thankful to have lived through it. I have to tell my story to protect other people. I know that there are, there are other victims here. I am not the only one. There are multiple women. And there are people who will say, well, why don't they come forward? Well, if you look at what has happened to me, would you come forward? Would you want to be on the receiving end of those threats? And a lot of people who would lose their jobs if he was held accountable. Some of those people are not people who are trustworthy. They're in those positions because they will, if they witness his misconduct, um, they'll look the other way and cover it up. So these are not people who are, they're dangerous people. These are not safe people. Um, they are not in the position of serving the people and enforcing law. It's about power. It's about favor. It's about, this is such a corrupt thing that's happening and it's such a dangerous precedent. Um, if he is allowed to use his position to get sex and get relationships where the other person doesn't want it, doesn't have a choice, if he's able to do that, that's really scary to so the precedent that sets. He's not, he can't be in a position to objectively be the boss, um, supervise other people who might engage in that kind of conduct. 
So it's absolutely terrifying what this means for Southwest Florida, but I do understand he is in a position of great power. And by having been appointed to that position, he would not have been elected if not appointed, but he has the power to get elected because he was appointed. It gives this air of legitimacy to his position, and there's nothing legitimate about it. Crimes were committed to get there, and crimes will be committed to stay there, and I don't want those crimes to be against me. Or any uh, anyone else in Southwest Florida. So I, I right. appreciate that. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, when we do look at accountability, there is at least one thing that we do have, and that's the power of the vote. So I'd like to encourage everyone who has their ballot um, to look and vet the candidates for sheriff in all positions uh, very carefully and take in consideration of stories and lived experiences like Deanna's here as well. And also understand that somebody who has this kind of personal desire to um, conduct themselves in this way is likely to lead an organization that has a culture that reflects that same type of objectification and dismissal of women which we've already seen in the instances of uh, successful cases of sexual assault being investigated and prosecuted. Um, we already know that that's on the low end. So there's a very low value that the department has right now on women and women's voices. Um, but that under the continued leadership of somebody who devalues it even further and just looks to utilize their position to um, gain access to to women and their bodies the way that they want. We can expect further um, perpetuation of that department. And for me, that's very, that's very frightening. That's very frightening because it makes all of us in Lake County far more vulnerable than just to the, to the, the whims of that one individual person. Um, as, in, as in the case of with Deanna, she was in specifically uh, a victim of abuse of power at the hands of Sheriff Carmine Marcino. But under his continued leadership, all women in Lee County are under threat because there will be so little value placed on our lives and our words because of the culture he perpetuates in, in that department. That it will be hard for us to stand our ground and it will be easier for us to be taken and that breaks me and that's why you know and as somebody who studies leadership and has published on leadership and thinks it's extremely important to have um, ethical um, and integrity filled leadership I really really just implore everybody to do research listen to the stories and um, check out some of the information that Deanna has also said is available on the internet about her particular story to Operate it and understand it better. We can also look at some of the reporting done by news press and politics about this. And Deanna, didn't you tell me that the Guardian also did a a story on your case? 
The Guardian also did a story. There are a few other stories that are out there. There are quite a few stories that um, there's an independent journalist in South Carolina. His name is Tim Brown, Washington Standard. He has done quite a bit on this, and he does have some very specific political views that you may not agree with. Um, it's very, very specific. But his facts are impeccable, and the documentation is there to back it up. So I would encourage everyone to look at the evidence, look at the person, consider the person who is answering questions, who's transparent about this. Um, if you look at the things he says, this is politically motivated. I am not supporting a candidate in this. This is not politically motivated. I've never been politically active in Fort Myers at all. Um, so there's no politics whatsoever involved in this. This is a human rights issue. This is a civil rights issue. This is an issue of my son having someone who's so powerful that his father can go to my son's place of employment and threaten to kill my son repeatedly on video. And FDLE doesn't want to do an investigation. And the governor has that tape. And it's clear. And it's obvious. And on that tape, his father, Carmine Marcino Sr., is also talking about his wife when she walks away and says that he wants to punch her in the face. Then he's talking about how he wants to, I'm sorry, I'm not, I won't use the word, but F women and girls. And um, he accuses my son of being gay and tells him not to mess up and then says that he'll kill him. Um, it is just, it's, it's otherworldly. It is hard to believe that this is actually happening but that is, look at the evidence, look at the documentation. You'll also see that, um, that there's evidence that he is someone who has failed a polygraph. There's drug use and admission of a prior felony um, on his law enforcement application. This is his background. He is a politician and he's going to do what he needs to do to gain power. And... I don't have power. It's just me standing on my own, telling the truth of my story. But I'm willing to do that. And I, I want, I welcome a transparent, full, unbiased investigation from an agency who does not benefit from him, who cannot receive any kind of financial favor from him um, or his family. And he's known to, to arrange for um, six-figure donations and gifts for other people so he can buy favor and buy influence and he already has the influence of his position so look at evidence and there is quite a bit of evidence um you know despite my inability to get certain evidence which i would love to have you cannot compel a paternity test in the state of florida unless it's a live birth and that is something that um he would not submit to during my pregnancy. So those are things, those are issues on which I'm still criticized. Um, our child was stillborn. Um, our son was stillborn. And that has been it's something that he celebrates because he, he looked at our child as evidence. And that's evidence that can't be used against him. Um, and he frequently uh, has people who taunt me with the death of our child and, and post things and say, where's the baby? Where's the baby, Deanna? Um, all sorts of things that it, it's just horrific. The, the tactics that are used. So 
regardless of what someone is willing to believe about me, look at the documents, look at the evidence, look at his past, um, and make up your mind from there. And I want to say, if anyone is in a position where they are victimized and you have to go to Lee County Sheriff's Office, don't go alone. You need to have someone with you, have an advocate, have someone with you, and preferably not an advocate that is in any way tied in to Lee County Sheriff's Office. You need to have someone who is independent of that, does not depend on the Sheriff's Office for anything, who can be there with you, who can observe what's going on, help you remember pertinent facts. That's important for for your safety as someone who is reporting a crime. Um, a victim, that is, it's important for your safety and it's also important for the outcome of the crime to have some accountability with another person who is there with you. And if you have trouble finding that, reach out to someone outside of the area, um, or reach out to me. That is something that I do and I'm, um, I have people who, who can put you in touch with the right people who will be there for you in those situations. Um, so it's very important to keep that in mind and to consider, I did not know. I had no idea what Carmine Marcino's intent was with me. I had no clue whatsoever. I was completely naive. I came in with that mindset of I was not much different than the trust that I had as a little girl watching Officer Friendly in the class. I believe you respect law enforcement um, and you support law enforcement. Uh, I come from a culture of that, um, the politics of that, um, you know, as as someone who is um, as someone who's who's been a conservative. Um, that is something that I have I have believed, um, but. You have to be aware that there are those who abuse that power. There are a great number of officers who do wonderful things and they sacrifice and they do not like, they hate it when someone comes in and misbehaves. There is this statement, that old statement that no one, um, the only person who hates, no one hates a, a bad cop more than a good cop. There are a lot of great law enforcement officers out there, you know, and we have to um, respect the sacrifice. But you also have to be prepared and ready for someone who does not have your intentions and may want to abuse that power. And you may become a target. If you are victimized, if you are sexually assaulted, there is so much secondary victimization. It makes you a target of people who believe that you can be victimized, that you are vulnerable, and there are people who will be drawn to that. And they will, in my situation, there was a theft. A theft so there was someone who knew because my case was high profile. So there were other crimes that were committed to, against me in the aftermath of that. And in your weakened state, it's much like... An animal in the wild is hunted. They are, predators go after the weakest one. And then they all join in. And that is very much what I've experienced. So you have to be very careful when you're in a vulnerable state not to go it alone and to watch out for what could happen. Absolutely. And thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. I think it's a very excellent idea to have an advocate. Um, 
with you an additional witness instead of eyes when you are engaging um, with the police, even as, as a victim. So I think that's a really important thing. And I also just want to say I can appreciate you sharing with us that you um, are philosophically conservative. And obviously I am a, a Democrat running for Congress. I am philosophically liberal. But I think what you said was so important is that these issues go beyond that. This is about accountability and integrity in these public goods. <laughs> you know, the, you know, policing and public safety, these are things that, that we expect to trust and expect to protect us. And when there's a problem with that, we can all agree that it needs to be addressed. I think that we can also agree that people's lives um, should be respected as well. So we need to take care of women. Um, and this is a pretty clear cut case where women were not respected. And that's part of this discussion as well. So we can bring ourselves out of and up above these issues of partisanship when we can agree that there are some things that are just too much for us to take. I think this case helps to highlight some of those things. No one would be appreciative of this scenario if it were them, their daughter, their wife, and they went through the same things that Deanna has gone through. We don't necessarily have to put ourselves in proximity to victims to understand their scenario. It helps some people, but we don't have to do that to have empathy and to understand that we all deserve better. We all deserve better. We deserve accountability from our public officials, and we deserve to be respected as women and not victimized um, by people who choose to think that abuse is something we want to engage in. So uh, I will leave it at that, and I will also encourage everybody to take a hard look at the candidates on the ballots in front of them. Um, as well as to vote, make sure you vote, everybody. <laughs> you know, we have uh, early voting starting on August 8th, um, in-person voting uh, on Election Day on August 18th for the primary. Um, Sheriff Carmine Marcino is on the ballot there, so um, uh, and it's, open, it's into the Republican primary, so if you're registered as a Republican, you can take a look at that and think very uh, considerately about which candidate in that particular primary that you would be interested in supporting. Um, and so thank you so much, Deanna, for coming on the show with me here today. Thank you for sharing your story um, and your, you know, courageous way that you are putting yourself out um, and being vulnerable through this. And I, I, um, I'm so saddened to hear when I uh, saddened to hear the people who have been attacking you online and trying to discredit you. And I do hope that people realize that that is absolutely part of the defense campaign um, to deflect away from the truth that you are telling. Um, I will say that I do encourage everybody to take a look at um, what you've been saying and the evidence that you have on your side, as well as um, the numerous other um, issues that have been brought up uh, in relation to this particular candidate, um, Sheriff Carmine Marcino. Um, so anyway, thank you. Thank you so much, Deanna. Thank you for having me. 
All right, everybody, thanks so much for joining us here at Dr. Cindy Speaks. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dr. Cindy Speaks. If you'd like to learn more about her campaign, go to cindybanyay.com or connect with her directly at vote at cindybanyay.com. We love connecting with people. Contents of this podcast are paid for and approved by friends of Sandy Banyay.